This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini, the king of kickboxing himself. Like Muslim that. Salikov is the king of kung fu. We can, we can anoint you the king of kickboxing. Is that fair? Well, I mean, Rico Verhoeven right now, his nickname is the king of kickboxing. Okay, well. But uh, for the show and for the North American audience, I am the king of North American kickboxing. We'll call it that. I just hope Rico is not listening. You know, no, that's all right. You can listen. Remember, I called him out a couple times on this show. That's, that's I fair. called him out, even though he's my good friend. That, uh, I still call him out. Well, that's what a good friend would do. Is you, you don't want to exactly. put people on a pedestal. You want to call. You want. I mean, the the level of perfection that Rico Verhoeven has is so high that if you can find any little openings, I'm sure he'd like to hear them. Yeah, I mean, if I was also 250 pounds, skill for skill, I think it's hands down my fight. I right. just think right now the biggest challenge, obviously, that he's 250 pounds and as lean as me at 195 pounds. That's <laughs> just the biggest issue. And his legs are probably twice the size of mine, and I got big legs. So, yeah, not a very favorable matchup for weight. No. Um, well, I mean, but hey, I mean, that's what makes you a champion is your thought. Yeah, I got your movement. thought is that if you were at, if you were at his weight, you know, it would be a Yeah, be a, I got speed. I got dunk. movement. I got the IQ. <laughs> so I got it still. All right, well, why don't we talk about last weekend's card, uh, well, I guess this past weekend, rather. Corey Sanhagen, TJ Dillashaw, somewhat controversial, although, I mean, listen, I don't believe that it's really a controversial decision. I just think that, uh, like, it's not a robbery. Let's just put it that way. It was a close fight, not a robbery. Yeah. I would have gone the other way with it. I think a lot of other people would have gone the other way with it. Yeah. The issue I have with it, Joe, is when, when people are assessing the fight, I saw so many people arguing back and forth. It's like, well... TJ had the, the grappling advantage. He was grappling him. He, he had top control for whatever, two minutes. Top control is virtually meaningless in MMA if you're not doing anything with it. I mean, that's... And, and I've spoken, I spoke to a judge this week and confirmed that. That basically, grappling... There's, there's grappling and there's effective grappling. And effective grappling means that you're utilizing your grappling to either go for submissions or to, to do damage. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just grappling. It's just change of position. That's all it is. Yeah. It's the same as if the fight were standing and two people were just doing nothing. If, you're, yeah. if you've got top control and you do nothing with it, even if you're advancing, the judges don't take any of it into account because there's no damage. They would have in the old criteria, but the current yeah. criteria calls for damage. And I think that if you're looking at damage, that, that Corey Sanhagen won three of those five rounds, maybe even four or even five of those, those rounds. Yeah, it, but if damage is equal and all things are equal, the top position would mean octagon control, right? You're still in a more favorable position if all things are equal. Yes, but I'll give you, I'll give you um, again, what, when I spoke to a judge this week, the judge doesn't want to be named, so I'm, I'm not going to name yeah, him. Yeah, no, that's very but, fair. But uh, he basically said that the um, amount of times in which that has been considered is like you can count it on one hand, right? Because unless you're talking about a fight where there's two strikes thrown in the entire round, it's not going to come into effect. Yeah. So yeah. it's, no, I, I see uh, it. Yeah, you know. I can so, see what it means. But like, I mean, like referencing an example of this fight here, I thought when Dillashaw grappled, it was more like survival grappling sometimes. Like he would be hurt and then grapple as a, a tactic of survival rather than of I'm going to dominate. So I think it also the situation in which the grappling happens, I think, needs to be taken into effect. Yeah, for sure. But the grappling, again, it's meaningless if he's not doing anything with it. Right. Like it's, it's not even considered as as scoring. And yeah, that's yeah. the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand because a lot of people are used to kind of the old criteria of, of judging where, where that kind of thing does matter, but it doesn't anymore. It's like the, the criteria has changed. And unless people are going to familiarize themselves with the criteria, 
I don't want to hear, yeah, but, you know, the grappling, TJ dominated the grappling, he had top control for a minute. It doesn't matter. It's like it's it's basically the equivalent of them standing if nothing's happening and and neither guy throwing punches. That, like, yeah. And I just don't think that people recognize that, and that's a problem. But at the same time, again, I, I, I don't want to say that it's a robbery, and I don't want to say that maybe TJ didn't earn the victory. I personally, again, I would have gone the other way, but I think it's a close enough fight where you can't really call it a robbery either way. Yeah, I thought the way it looked was for me, the rounds that uh, Dillashaw won, I thought he won them maybe a little bit more than the the three rounds that Sanhagen won. I mean, I know the damage didn't really show it, but like that third round when Dillashaw came in chopping those legs that he was spinning, you know, Sanhagen around, he was doing some good damage. And like some of the rounds, I think it was the fourth round was like super close in, in some of them, but like... I don't know. I thought Sanhagen and a lot of people all said, I mean, I think the majority was just 2-2 going into the fifth round. Yeah. And I don't know how some people could see Dillashaw winning that fifth round at all. Right. I mean, Sanhagen's ability to move, staying long, pop in Dillashaw's head, the damage was there, the evading, the backwards fighting. I thought it was a clear fifth round. I think it, out of the rounds that uh, Sanhagen won, that fifth round was one of the most dominant for him. Yeah, and I think it would be you'd be hard pressed to have Dillashaw three rounds, but you might. I mean, I think you you could make a case for Dillashaw winning one three four. Uh, personally, I gave yep. Sanhagen two four five, but uh, and I think two was really the only real clear clear round of the fight. I thought that Corey won round two, and I I don't think you'd find a lot of people that would give that round to Dillashaw. Uh, yeah. So the third round, like you mentioned, I think was probably Dillashaw's best round. I thought the first round was good for Dillashaw, but I also think that when you watch that round again. You could still give that round to Sanhagen, but I think a lot of people were just really impressed to see Dillashaw come back so strong with his first round yeah. back in two and a half years and look as sharp as he as he always has. Yeah, and I think that ended up being the the narrative of the fight. I mean, how good did after a layoff of two years did Dillashaw look? And he looked fantastic. I think it really shows a full game of mixed martial arts. He was striking well. He was grappling, mixing in clinches. You know, like it just showed a, a nice overall game, and I thought it was a, a fantastic fight. And I think, if anything, it was, you know, very technical. I love the technical aspects of the fight. I love that both of these guys are very well versed on, on the feet. They, th those guys are like switching stances, both of them, so comfortably. Like it was just very good IQ'd fight. And I hope, and and I know a lot of people say it won't, but I hope this doesn't really, you know, knock down Sandhagen because he's really talented and he's fun to to watch. A little bit more power and maybe a little bit of a finishing ability with him and you know but good IQ good length and, and you know I'm excited to see him continue to do what he's doing well I think there's a pretty clear fight to make and that's uh Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font I think that oh yeah he, he spoke to Sean Shelby backstage after the, the fact and I think Shelby thought that Sanhagen should have won but at the same time there's no should have could have would have but he did tell Sanhagen that he was still one fight away from getting a championship like one win away from getting a shot at the championship. So basically yeah. the way that it shakes out now is you've got Sterling against Jan. you got D uh, Dillashaw taking on the winner of that fight. And then well, hopefully, as long as there's nothing con you know, <laughs> controversial that happens again, God yeah, forbid. Hope but not. I mean, Dillashaw gets to face the winner of that fight. And then Sanhagen, I think, should fight Font to see who's next after that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. that both tall guys, that's a fantastic fight. That's a very good fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Rob's jab, you know, is going to be, but I mean, Sanhagen's slick. Yeah, that's a fantastic fight. Yeah, let's go for it. I mean, let's face it, though. You look at Dillashaw's record. He now has wins over both Font and Sanhagen. Uh, he's he's re-entered the rankings at number two behind uh, Piotr Jan and, of course, the champion Sterling. 
So I think the, the division is kind of, we, we kind of know how it's going to shake out from here. Now, whether it ends up being Sanhagen and Font, I don't know, but I just think that that's the logical fight to make next. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely the fight. I think both of them, I mean, it kind of sucks that Sanhagen won't be the next one, to be honest. That that could be a little bit disheartening for some, but I think Dillashaw kind of deserves it for what he kind of had to overcome. And I mean, to come back, he he never really lost his title. A lot of people were saying he should have been given an immediate title shot, but um, the reasons he had to strip his title, I think he has to deserve the respect back from the fans as well. And I think that was a a tough one for him, but I still think he earned a lot of respect. I think not in the win, but in the way he fought. You know, I think that's where he got his respect to have his knee busted up in that round and continue to fight his eyes split up and, you know, can't even see kept coming forward. I mean, I mean, he earned my respect as the uh, not winning the fight, but as the fighter himself. So good on him. And I think Sanhagen is going to be really kicking himself when he rewatches this fight because he made a couple mistakes in that fight that I think could have totally been avoided. Um, yeah. Like you're saying, those Grambies, the spins and the spin, like, yeah, it was a little I think much. that the way to beat TJ Dillashaw is to beat him. Um, with technical fighting and, and with, with aggression. And I think that uh, he got a little bit reckless in that fight, and I, I, I feel like he was looking for the home run shot, but, you know, it just wasn't there. He, he could have won that fight by just being himself and not trying to, to do more than he had to. Yeah, I mean, I thought Sanhagen could have had a little bit better, you know, striking strategies. I feel he didn't utilize his uppercuts enough for those up jabs or some of those. Like, I mean, the times he committed it, like he jumped for those knees and they were fantastic. But there was a lot of times a lead uppercut, a good uppercut, I mean, was there for him. And I think that was the shot that him and his team really wasn't seeing that uh, could have been very effective. Well, Dillish, uh, sorry, Sanhagen is really becoming a master of throwing that flying knee. Uh, as, a, as a taller guy in that division, he really utilizes it well against... In fact, I, I can't think of anybody really in MMA history that I've seen that has been able to utilize that flying knee with such effectiveness yeah, in fight yeah. and, and do it over and over again. But usually yeah, you I've see seen... a flying knee, you see like Jose Aldo against Cub Swanson landing a picture perfect say. one. But yeah. I mean, doing it continuously during a fight and doing it with such effectiveness. I don't think we've seen that before. Yeah, I just think now it's very predictable. So I think now it's about learning to set them up a little bit more, putting them, hiding them behind punches, attacking them on guys uh, when they're exiting um, instead of always when they come in. Because the risk is, I mean, he's tall and lengthy. Guys want to wrestle him. So sometimes if he doesn't land that knee, you end up on your back. And, I mean, the the prime example of, I mean, the Malcolm Gordon fight didn't uh, – uh, when Trinaldo tried cu- throw, not Trinaldo there, um, Figueredo's brother there, Francisco, Francisco tried Figueredo, throwing yeah. the flying knee, and look, he ended up on his back, and Malcolm was able to get that third round perfectly. So, I mean, it's a risky attack to throw it in the beginning of a close fight. Kind of, I don't know. Sometimes it's uh, you got to be a little bit more strategic with them because they're dangerous. Because a good puncher too, like you can, you, if someone counters you when you're jumping in like that, I've seen it in kickboxing a few times. Guys get knocked out really bad trying to throw jumping knees like that and then getting caught with a a good counter punch. So he's getting away with it. I like it, but he just needs to be careful. A lot of decisions on this card. Uh, I think people had issue with one of which was the co-main event: Howie and Paiva defeating Kyler Phillips uh, by majority decision. I, I'm just shocked that there was there was not a single 10-8 scorecard to be found. I, there uh, was one. I thought oh, there yeah, was there was one. one. Sorry, there, there was 29-28, 29-28, and 28-28. So there was a 10-8 yeah. in there. I, like, personally, I thought that first round, if you don't score that a 10-8, what's a 10-8? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I, w- I was listening to uh, John Anik talk about this, and he goes, this is where, like, there has to be something. It's like the the round that Phillips had, okay, to give him 10-9, and then the round that Paiva won, you know, and at round three was not the same 10-9. How can mm-hmm. you value that the same way, you know? There was so much more damage. So always going back to your points of having that little bit of a decimal point system because – you might be like, ah, man, two points? I don't know about two points, but one and a half for sure, you know? And then that half point would have played a huge favor because those winning of round one and three are completely different. Mm-hmm. You and can't I, value and, them the same. Again, I told you I spoke to a judge this week. I said the same thing, and his response was, if you have good judges, it shouldn't be a problem. And I said, well, it's not a matter of the judges. It's not a matter of uh, who's actually judging the fight. It's a matter of the system. Like, it's not, a, it's not a, something that the judges can actually fix with good judging. Yeah. Because yeah. not all 10-9 rounds are created equal, and that's just a fact. Like, you're yeah. going to have rounds that are razor thin. And him, the judge and I rewatched. Remember, I, I had that scorecard for Izzy and, and Jan, where yeah. uh, I, I gave Israel the first three rounds. And he says that it's a judge's worst nightmare to have those kind of situations where you've got a fight that has two really close rounds or three really close rounds, and then two really dominant rounds at the end that are not quite 10-8 rounds. Yeah. But if you judge it for the person that won the first three rounds that got clobbered in the last two rounds, people get angry about it, but you still have to look at it on a round-by-round round basis. And I said, again, I, I just think that it's a symptom of there, you know, there being um, a discrepancy between 10-9 rounds and how there are some that are you know, more dominant than others and, and that people don't really take that into consideration. They just look at at the overall damage or at how well someone's doing in an individual round. And it's, that's, that's, I think one of the big problems with the scoring criteria being, you know, 10, nine, 10, eight, as opposed to having a decimal system in place for, for MMA. Yeah. That, that's uh, the perfect example of it. That, that, if anything needed to be a bit, been a, deci- uh, a draw, mm-hmm. like, I mean, Phillips didn't deserve to lose that fight. So, I mean, I mean, it was a exciting win for Paiva, whatever it, it is. So good on him. But that round, I mean, it wasn't even a ten eight and a, ten to eight and a half. It was a ten eight round. Like that first yeah. that first round was a clear, in my opinion, ten eight round. He almost finished yeah. him. And do and you he, think do you think it's the round that makes a difference? Being round one, judges don't want to jump on and give a ten eight on round one. They shouldn't think of it that way. If that's the case, like that shouldn't be taken into consideration. I like you have to judge the rounds individually you can't look at it as as a big picture it's not pride rules it's that's how you judge fights right so uh like i i just don't see what you would look for that would make you teeter towards a 10-9 versus a 10-8 like if you're watching that round what is it that is convincing you that is not a 10-8 round that's the part that i'm curious about because i i just don't see anything that would make that a 10-9 round do you think judges after the fight would have went back and changed that first round to 10-8 after seeing No, they're not allowed to, but I bet you if they had the option to, I think a lot would. And I think a lot of judges uh, probably look back at some of their scorecards and say, yeah, maybe I could have done that. But there's there's a lot that goes into into judging, and there's also the vantage point, right? Like, we we have the ability to watch it using the the feed that we're getting through TV, and we're not hearing things the same way. I mean, you've been cage-side for fights. You've coached fights. You know the difference between watching it and, and of course, you've commentated <laughs> hundreds of fights. You know the difference. Between, thousands. Yeah, thousands That's of fights. Thousands. You, now. You, you've you know the difference between sitting at ringside in your case for kickboxing versus watching it on TV. There, you notice a lot of different nuances that you wouldn't notice at home. Yeah, I mean, it could be good and it's bad at the same time. Sometimes, like you miss things, and 
And honestly, the MMA cage is terrible to try to see things. I mean, mm-hmm. you have the camera guys. It's high up. The actual fencing. When you're live at a UFC event and the fight goes on the ground, you're looking up at the screen. Like there, it's very hard to see action. I mean, kickboxing. I think what we value is you can really see and feel the action in kickboxing because the open ropes. It's you just feel more intimate. With the cage, it's very difficult to to feel involved in the fight. So I think that even as a, a judge, it's it's very difficult still. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to judges having a little monitor in front of them as well, so that they can kind of look up and glance down. Because as a commentator, that helps me a lot having the option sometimes if I can't see a certain angle, I'm looking right down on the screen to get the full picture of things, you know. So I think that could actually be a a little thing for the judges to to help them. Yeah, I, I, but I think that they also have the they have the screens up at the top. And um, going back again to my conversation earlier this week, the judge told me that if he can't see something, he'll often look behind them at the video at the video screen. He'll try to find a way to see what he's not able to see in that moment. So, yeah, but they shouldn't have ways. to do they that. It should be there for them. You know, they could be missing something as they're trying to look for the screens. You know. Yeah. But, the other uh, question I posed was: Would judging be more accurate if they were sitting in like a soundproof room? With like without getting to hear the crowd or the coaches or anything like that, and just focus solely on the fights. And they said that they they feel like being cage side is a very important element because you can see certain things that you can't see on the broadcast. So I, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, but they would know better than me. Yeah, I think it's the hearing. To me, it's the hearing of the shot. Like you, you can see the shot on TV sometimes, and you're like, okay, you don't really hear and feel that smack that goes behind the shot. So. When you're in a kickboxing fight or in, in MMA and you hear a low kick land, I don't think mm-hmm. people have really heard what it sounds yeah, like to hear someone crack a hard, well-landed low kick. It echoes, man. It, it vibrates the ring and the cage. So I think that feel is there, um, and I think you kind of need that. So I think the having the, the at least the monitor or some form of like – earphones like the commentators use where it blocks out the audience noise but gets me the sound of the ring we need to mic the shorts that's that's the uh, that's the answer mic the shorts. that's it all right <laughs> mic the mic the ref i don't know get him going right they have the mic does have a ref right uh a mic doesn't he um i would think so because you can usually hear them when they're saying something in the cage i, I know that the cages are at least mic'd i don't know if the reps themselves are yeah. mic'd, but maybe I would yeah. know that. That must be a hard gig doing the sound, the audio engineering for a for oh, a live crazy. combat sports event. When I do the uh, when we do the rehearsals and stuff, I'm friends with all the sound guys and stuff, and seeing them do it. But like, I look under my commentary desk, and I'm like, where are all these wires yeah, go? There's, there's so thousands many. of yeah, all so like many. plugged in everywhere. I'm like. What if one – like I can't even sometimes deal with the, the cable management on my computer, never mind a whole 20,000-seat arena. Like that's phenomenal. Well, They're the real the things, stars. It's one of the things that people don't realize is what goes into putting these events on. Like you know, when I'm doing my interviews on the Fridays after weigh-ins uh, at the arena and watching them set it up, it's – man, the, the amount of production that goes into this thing, it's like people don't oh, – yeah. people just can't fathom how much – work goes into putting on one of these events and i mean that's why i think dana white gets defensive sometimes when people tell him how to run his business it's like yeah hell yeah if, if you've never promoted an event like i've 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 promoted concerts in the past when i was a lot younger i used to book concerts you have to rent the equipment you have to rent the you know you have to rent the sound guy you have to oh, nice. uh, do paperwork to get people across the border like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that people that buy a ticket and show up don't see and or yeah. people that watch in this case watch it on tv it's like as the promoter, you're taking a lot of risk to make sure that you're able to 
put on a show. And, and Dana White has also said that in the past they've lost money on events because you want to go to different markets and try to get fans involved there. And you, you actually end up losing money on those events, but you, you kind of make, make it back by trying to get new fans and, and get new markets involved. And there's a lot of research that goes into that as well. There's also people that just deal with the arenas and deal with booking all that stuff, right? There's just a lot of logistics that go into yeah. all of these events. I, I try to explain to people, it's like, you know how stressed out people get when they're getting married? It's one event and it's your family, you know? Imagine doing that now, booking fighters from all over the world, the arenas, the technology, the filming, the productions. Like your one little wedding has a one cameraman, you know, one venue. You know the people. Like it's mm -hmm. not that difficult and you're still so stressed out for a year, you know? Like just – Picture your wedding times a thousand, and that's what it means to run a fight organization. Mm -hmm. Even me doing my bazooka invitational events, so many little yeah, pieces right. to the puzzle. It's you like it's worse than a wedding. Like the day of the show. Yeah, and then you're running to even the dollar store to buy bags and tapes mm -hmm. and buckets and like hand gloves. And I was like, <laughs> you never know. It's mm -hmm. just, you're right. It's literally, yeah, marriage times a thousand. <laughs> So I respect it. And I that's what I loved about the the UFC as well. Like because I'm so into the glory show and been behind the scenes for so many years, I like to go when I go to another event, I watch what's their camera guy, where's their where's their production. Like I, I love seeing that side of the the sport as well. So something I'm into. When I booked my wedding, I said to my wife, Good music, good food, and whatever else happens, if it's care. not to our liking, we should just forget about it. Like as long as the people that are there are having a good time. Like, yeah. you know, what, if, if you're focusing on just those two things, if you go to a wedding and yeah. uh, the, audio is, music. And the yeah. audio is bad or like, you know, you know, or the flowers aren't nice, you would never notice it. It's, it's yeah. the food and the drinks. You got to have a good yep. bar That's and you got to have a good, yep. <laughs> good food. Get the premium bar and you exactly. uh, get the food going. We, yep. we, had, we got the grappa, Joe. We went, to, That's uh, it. we went to a nice Italian banquet hall, got the grappa, hey. got the good meals, got good food. That's, That's all we needed. The banquet hall yeah. wasn't the nicest banquet hall necessarily. The flowers yeah. we, we cheaped out on, no problem. That's it. Food, Who's in it? Drinks and yeah. music. And that's it. We, we hired a live band. Very good oh, band. Oh, live band too. Nice. Yeah, live band. You gotta, those are the three things. Those are the little things. Yeah, and you're so into music that you, it better be good, right? So, yeah, exactly. That's it. I don't want people I like it. doing the twist. Yeah, you know. I don't like those, those but, DJs. You know, Sometimes they the get the Tucker. MCs and yeah. Ah, it's a lot of planning. That's why I haven't done it yet. Don't plan on it anytime soon either. All right, Joe. Well, if you you could always like, become a wedding planner. Right? You know what? I I actually it sounds stupid, but I would like to be married during COVID because that's more of an ideal style wedding. Smaller groups get the closest 25, 50 people, have one little nice dinner and have a good party. That's it. I don't need 250 people. Sounds like you should be doing a destination wedding, Joe. Just a, just a heads up. You know what? I'm gonna go back and I'll rant on this for 10 seconds. I don't like destination <laughs> okay, weddings because well, I had to go to go. one. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because I'm forcing people to spend so much money to go on a vacation that's not at a convenient yeah. time for and them days days and it's yeah days. i was a school teacher my best friend's getting married in the dominican mid school year i was like oh i'm just gonna take one week off like right. randomly during the school year. i'm a teacher you know what mm -hmm. am i gonna do yeah you know maybe not financially that might be the time you had to pay your property taxes another bill and it's not good for you to go away and now you're spending to bring you your wife and your kids to a wedding four or five thousand dollars like I it's crazy well, for sorry so, it was just an idea just an idea you rent we can Come move on. on. 
You know what? No. I had to clear the air. I'm not getting married in a destination wedding, Aaron, okay? All right. Cool. Well, I'll be happy if you invite me if that's the case. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, Darren Elkins defeats Derek, Derek Minner in Darren Elkins fashion, coming back yeah. from the dead. <laughs> that's what he does every time. It's just, good you know, point. You, you got you to gotta love watching Darren Elkins do what he does. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you don't you don't, you don't I, love seeing him take that, that amount of damage every single fight, but it just seems like he's able to weather any storm that people throw at him. Yeah, and I, I made the, the mistake, and when I was doing my parlays, I went against him. So one of those, I always, Darren Elkins, man, I'm sorry. I always pick against you, and you always prove me wrong. Well, so my pick, thank you for proving me TSN wrong. When I did Edge, my pick was Minner by submission. It was plus 400 because I knew that was Minner's only way to win. Yes. Yeah, get yeah. a submission because he's not going to knock Elkins out. He's not going to win a decision against Elkins, most no. likely. Very unlikely, I'd say. So he needed to get that kind of that first round sub or, or early second round sub. Otherwise, Elkins is just going to outlast him, which is what he did. Yeah, I mean, I don't like seeing him bust it up all the time, but hey, he gets it done in the fashion that he does. And that's him. You know, that's what he does. So good on him. I mean, there's got to be a point where I think we got to say, hey, enough is enough. But hey, as long as he keeps winning, doing his thing, you know, putting the, the money on the table for his family. Let, let's keep him rolling. One of the more controversial decisions, probably the most controversial decision on the card, Macy Barber defeating Miranda Maverick by split decision. Uh, don't really see a case for Macy Barber winning that second round. Uh, I have to go back and watch it, but I just, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. That was the one, t- speaking of parlays, that killed my parlay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't see it at all. I don't, I don't know how they came up with that decision at all. Well, be that as it may, they, if you look at the rankings this week, they they kept Barber and Maverick in the same spots. Like they didn't move Barber up ahead of Maverick. Yeah, shot fired by the by the rankings panel. Yeah, I don't know. It shouldn't have changed. Maverick shouldn't. Well, I disagree go with down that, for that. I, I think that if if she wins, regard like if you're not going to get regardless a finish, of you it, leave it to the never leave it to the judges. Like they say, a win's still a win. Nobody's going to look back on this 15 years ago and be like that was a really controversial decision. It's just going to show up as a win on Macy Bar- Barber's record. Yeah, I mean, the don't leave it to the judges. I mean, I love that quote because that's what I lived by. But it's like the more I watch now and it's like nobody wants to leave it to the decision. But I mean, I think that reference needs to mean to people like show you want to win more. You know, that that's what it doesn't necessarily mean like you have to knock them out. Yeah, that's ideal. And you're fighting at the highest level. and It's going to be hard to do that. But show you want to win. If it's the third round and it's kind of close, you never know. Still need to win. Barber do- it does. Macy Barber looks great in the third round. She looks great in the third round in the last two fights. Yeah, but I'm speaking Maverick now. Like, yeah. win. Push the pedal. You know, it's a fight. Things can happen. Like, a lot of times what people don't understand is, like, you're getting hit less because you're attacking more. Once you shut down the gas pedal, you start getting hit more. Things can happen. You can take bigger shots. I mean, so you still got to continue to fight. I don't agree with people taking rounds off or slowing down. I get it. But, like, you still got to fight. It's still five minutes of of, of putting the, you know, I don't know. I've never, I've lost maybe on one hand how many rounds I've lost in my whole career. But I've, I've won Two of the rounds, but I went for finishes because I prided myself. Go for the finish. Get the win. It meant more than just winning a decision. So there's got to be some sort of like incentive. And I always think, I mean, the UFC should do this instead of this huge win and loss bonus. Okay, maybe you add like a a knockout bonus, add an extra five, ten grand on the win for the finish. You know, that little incentive is enough for guys. An extra five grand. Who doesn't want an extra five grand? If you're an early fighter, ten grand to get a finish. I'm down for that, you know, something like that. So I think 
they've got to be more incentives for it. But who takes rounds off? I don't get it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also a matter of endurance, right? Sometimes people can't go all three rounds. Uh, or at least there are fighters that have better endurance and they're able to win a third round. But uh, yeah. Barbara's still going to count as a win on Barbara's record. She avoids losing three straight. And uh, we move on to Adrian Yanez with a fantastic win over Randy Costa. Randy Costa is so dangerous in the first round. I mean, this guy just Incredible. throws heaters. Yeah, I, I, that jab, the way he moved, I was like, man, this guy's the next champion. What I thought in the, literally that first minute or two, I was like, this guy could be the champ. The way he moves, the way he strikes, the way he jabs, and then I saw the reality. Well, he's he just, never won crashed. a fight that's gone out of the first round Yeah, in his career. But he, looked, he looked phenomenal, though. That distance that he had, I was like, man, this kid's fantastic. This guy's then, got, like, Nganu-esque wins, if you look at, like, his record. He's 46 seconds, 11 seconds, a minute and 11 seconds, 42 seconds, 2 minutes and 15 seconds, 41 seconds. Those are his wins, oh, all in the first round. That style is long, rangy, snappy, it's good power. with kicks, mm -hmm. powerful. Like, man, yeah, I can see why he has it, but it's uh, – once you get a pressure and uh, someone with a big, tough chin, you know, you're in trouble. Well, Giannis is a guy that I've always thought has, like, contender potential. Like, he's, he's a really solid fighter, has great boxing. And I think that he needed this kind of a fight. He needed a fight where he was going to be tested and see if he could hang in there against a, a guy that is just a real finisher, right? So um, I think both guys' stocks rise from that fight, honestly. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to blast and fight like Costa, heck yeah, man. I I'm down to watch him again. Sure. You know, I I'm uh, really excited for that. Both of them really kind of put the put it on. I liked it. Those are the types of fights you want to see. I want to see Yanez versus uh, Sean O'Malley. Like that's that's the kind of fight I want to see. I you think he's ready for that level? Like that, I do. for us? Mm -hmm. Okay. I do. Yeah, I do. I'd like to see that kind of a fight for Yanez next. I think. But Giannis... but you got to but look how, look at the beating he took from Acosta, who's probably like a just under a sugar. You know. Yeah, I don't know. In the first round. So, but yeah, let's see though. He took that beating and he won. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Right. I, I'm, I'm eager to see what Giannis can do. I think I can see it. How old is Giannis? Giannis is 27, so he's he's just starting to enter his prime. He hasn't lost since uh, November of 2018. Split decision loss. He's only lost he's lost two split decisions in his career, both of which were the guys that ended up in the UFC: Domingo Pilarte and uh, Miles Johns. So, you, you know, I, this is a guy that I think is a really high level fighter that that's going to really do good things in the UFC. So I'm I'm eager to see yeah. him. Uh, against a, a, a good challenge next. But, I mean, it could be against a guy like a, um, a Sun Sal. Like, you know, a, a real top 15. Yeah, yeah. Sun Sal would be a very tough fight. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's the kind of thing I want to see next for Giannis. I thought that was a great win for him. And I also think, again, I think Randy Costa's stock still rises. I think that he's a guy that if he can get that endurance and he can, he can learn to go three full rounds and, and not yeah. run out of steam. Uh, I mean, this guy's a pedal-to-the-metal guy, and sometimes those kind of guys can do really well in their fight careers just because people love watching them fight. Yeah. Do you think it was a little bit of Yanez push, uh, pressuring him, kind of like just the adapting of Yanez that got him the win more than the fatiguing? I think it was a little fatigue, but I think uh, Yanez was just pressuring a little bit more, and that pressuring kind of let him land a little bit more, put Costa on the heels, couldn't strike as well. So I think it was a little bit of both. Good game planning and, and adjustment versus fatiguing. So mm -hmm. that's where I think Yanez gets the credit for me is making that little adjustment to stop laying back so much. And him pressuring was the big difference. You know, a guy who's good at going first and attacking and going forward like Costa, you put him on your heels. That's it changes the fight. So that's what I liked from him. Well, I did my uh, my preview show with Dan Tom before the event, and I said to Dan, if you like Yanez, if you're backing Yanez in the spot, wait until after the first round and bet it live. 
because yeah, you're going to yeah. get a much better number on Yanez, and I think that that's when he has... I, I think Costa's going to win the first round, basically, and I think that Yanez, from there, can take over. So, and, and I was right about that, but, you know... And I was also right about Paiva being a, a very live underdog. I think Howley and Paiva's a really good fighter. Um, I yeah. felt like it, I felt really dumb after the first round for saying that, but uh, he certainly proved me right in the last two rounds. Yeah, Paiva uh, just—he looks—he reminds me of just someone like I don't know, like he's from the the pavilas of Brazil. He probably is. I mean, just like a like an Aldo, like that just comes out and you know comes from like the real hard areas of Brazil. I could be completely wrong, but that is the image he gives me, and it's like just toughness all around. He's actually from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, really? No, I'm, totally just, no, I'm just joking. He's from, he's from <laughs> the like, municipality geez. of Santana in Brazil. <laughs> I just yeah. wanted to hear your reaction. I was uh, like, damn. But I mean, yeah. I was like, <laughs> he, he reminds me of like an old school, like, I don't know. Like he's, one of the old uh, WEC like guys. Yeah, yeah, like an old school guy, man. I like him. Mm-hmm. Something about him. He's, yeah. he's got he this should stay at 35, though. I, I don't think he should kill himself to go down to 25. I think he, he will fit at 35 and be good. Yeah, I don't know. I just, that style, I'm into it. Uh, Brandon Allen defeats Puna Soriano, handing Soriano his first career loss. We have the uh, Joe Valtellini Invitational, Imavov defeating Ian Heinish, a tattoo-free UFC fight. Oh, is that what it was, the yeah. first one? <laughs> How did you pick up on that? You just picked I just up on it? it? Yeah, I said uh, it's one of the rare tattoo-free fights. Oh, damn, yeah. There you go. I wanted to bring up uh, Soriano quick. Sure. I think, honestly, I mean... I know he brought a lot of hype into it, but uh, this is one of the examples I always talk about of uh, one-dimensional fighters. You know, I mean, you can only get so far, and and I mean, I think he's great. He's got a lot of good power, but how many fights can you win with one punch? And I think he's got to learn to set things up, and I mean, uh, finish things. But I think he's going to learn a big lesson in that you just can't win fights with one big power. Well, I've got to say, Brendan Allen is a guy who's known more for his grappling. Like he's a guy that will take you down and sub you. Puna Soriano, I think he was a D3 wrestling champion, or at least an All-American. Uh, so he has the wrestling in his back pocket, which is great. But, man, he just throws that left-hand rocket down the middle, like you said. Like he, that's, that, that's his that's primary weapon. And I don't know if it's all he's got, but I think Brandon Allen found a way to work, yeah. you know, to, to be careful and, and still be able to tactically beat Soriano. And I, yeah. I, I do think that Soriano still has a lot more that he can do in his career. still very young. And, and again, I think that with the wrestling in his back pocket... You, you can still be a Chuck Liddell in this day and age where you can wrestle in reverse and use your power. But yeah. I think that him having to take that second round kind of off, like him looking like he was running out of steam in the second round, somehow got yeah. a second win for the third round. But I think that he's somebody that still can be good. Oh, yeah, but for he, sure. He tweaks and improvements. I think under Eric Nixick, he can make them. Yeah, that that's the key. I think that the adjustments. And with Eric, I think he'll do good because his striking – um, is there. I mean, if you could add some low kicks, mix things up, set things up with the, the big shot, I think he'll be that much more dangerous. But Brendan Allen that, but looked like a kickboxer. Like who I, – I always get another frustrating thing with me when I talk to my team. No one really throws body kicks in MMA. I know some guys are scared, but there's there. There's opportunities for them all the time. And Matt Spech is going to be one of the guys who uses it very well, body punches, body kicks. So the body kick was there. To him to jab, to use the body kick, like I thought he evolved very good with Sanford MMA because his striking looked fantastic. And even his corner was uh, a friend of mine who was uh, helping him and wrapped his hands, who wrapped my hands in my first uh, little bit of pro fight. So honestly, great fight. I like Brandon Allen in it. I think Soriano just needs to improve. Mickey Gall looking like Mickey Gall must have forgot. A big win over Jordan Williams. I think a lot of people have yeah. written Mickey Gall off, but uh, they did so too early. Yeah, yeah, I haven't even heard his name forever. 
I mean, I don't know what he's actually been doing, but yeah, well, he lost came two out and got it. He lost to Diego Sanchez and he lost to Mike Perry. He fought Mike Perry, Perry fairly recently. Yeah. And uh, the story, I think, with him, which is uh, he came in, I think, very early. And I think he's really had to develop through the UFC. He really didn't have a time because mm-hmm. I think, if I remember, he was only like 1 or 2 and 0 oh when he came into yeah, the UFC. So he called one. out CM Punk. He and then he got it in. He, he got to go in. He beat Mike Jackson, who was, I think, 0-1 at the time. Um, or maybe even 0-0 at the time. Beat him, then beat CM Punk. But then he also beat Sage Northcott, which I thought was impressive. Because Sage Northcott yeah. was a, is a good fighter. I yeah, mean, striker, I though, big, right? Yeah. Gaul had a big size advantage in that fight. But I thought that I thought that uh, because of how inexperienced Gaul was, that, that Northcott would handle him. Like, I thought that, that yeah. would be an, a slam dunk for Sage Northcott. Ended up not being the case. Lost to Randy Brown, who's a solid fighter. Uh, ended up beating George Sullivan in the first round, had that loss to Diego Sanchez, came back against Salim Tuari, who, who uh, is no longer in the UFC, and then lost to Mike Perry. So going into this fight, he didn't have a win over somebody who was still in the UFC, which I think is problematic. Well, I guess Mike Jackson is still under UFC contract, but um, Jordan Williams, I think, is a good win for him. Yeah, no, I mean, impressive. And like just to see him develop and to fight Mike Perry, that's a big fight. I mean, uh, uh, so... For him to do what he's doing, develop into the UFC, and I think he's getting better. And I think him just getting better, more confident, I think we'll see him continue to develop. Julio Arce looks like he's going to be a problem at bantamweight. I mean, he was he was really good as a featherweight. Now he's moved down to bantamweight, looked looked healthy at bantamweight, gets a, a knockout win over a very durable Andre Ewell. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Arce can do in this division. Yeah, he looked impressive to me. I mean, I actually thought... Uh, uh, Ewell would have done a little bit better for my uh, my picks, but uh, yeah, Julio Arce. You went against Julio thing. Arce? No, 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 no. I just thought Ewell would have done a little bit better for me. Okay. Yeah, just I don't know, just performance wise, he's a little awkward, but I mean, I don't mind his style. Yeah. Uh, eager to see what what Julio can do. Sajara Eubanks defeats Elise Reed in the first round. I, I kind of called this one when we talked about it last week. Yeah, it was a little mixed match there, yeah. right? It was just two different levels, yeah. unfortunately, for Elise Reed. And I, I don't know who you match Elise Reed up with. I'm sure there are still some flyweights out there that she can compete with. But Eubanks was uh, Eubanks coming in at 125. I thought it was was really refreshing to see because she had a lot of trouble making flyweight in the past. Moved back, moved up to bantamweight. Didn't have that much success. Now back at flyweight and making the weight in a healthy fashion. I think is huge for her. Yeah, especially I mean, an older age. Yeah, and I mean, what I with Eubanks there, I just I just don't know what's she's could she ever climb to those rankings again? You know, that's what I see. But I like her, her passion. I just don't see her being one of those bigger contenders anymore. Uh, well, I mean, at 125, to be a contender is, is not hard. It's to be the champion is hard because you have to beat Valentina Shevchenko. But uh, we'll have to see how she does. I think that she can hang with a lot of the top contenders, honestly, at 125. I, it's just, I don't know if age is on her side. How old is she now? 35? 36. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of older for the, the lighter weight classes uh, in MMA. Uh, Diana Belbitza. Shout out to Crew Allen at uh, Stony Creek. Yeah. Cruelin. I, I doubted uh, Diana Belbita. She looked great against Hannah Goldie, so kudos to her for getting a win. Uh, yeah. Her first UFC win. But, yeah, um, I actually messaged them. I was like, Alin, all I heard was you yelling in the corner because it was a very vocal. And it's like old school. Like It's like every time a shot lands, you yell, oh, oh, oh. That's our kickboxing Muay Thai thing, and Cruelin and brings that in, so I loved it. <laughs> well, good for Diana. Good win for her. Nice to see her repping both Canada and Romania in the cage now this is the rare weekend where i would like to lead with bellator we got aj mckee taking on patricio pitbull 
in what I think is the biggest fight in the history of the promotion. I mean, I asked Pitbull himself about it, and he was like, well, I think me versus Chandler it was champion versus champion. He thought that was a, a bigger fight, which I, I think is arguable. But, I mean, yeah. look at the stakes here. you had an undefeated fighter trying to maintain an undefeated record against the best fighter in the history of the promotion for the belt and for a million dollars. I mean, stakes is high, Joe, for this one. Yeah, yeah. As De La I mean, Soul would say. Yeah, I'm, uh, I- I'm not overly into it as much as you are for this fight but uh i like the the stories behind it i like the veteran versus the up-and-comer i think it's all there i think it's got the storyline it's got the passing of the torch it's got a lot of elements but uh pitbull's a nightmare and i'm it's kind of i think putting anyone against that that putting that young line against him could be a very dangerous risky move and i think that's what makes it exciting yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, this is the first time AJ McKee's been an underdog. What do you think his average odds were beforehand? He had four, he was there were odds on him in fourteen of his previous fights out of sixteen. I, like I, cal- a, what, I calculated what kind of the favorite average. he is. Yeah, like, like give, give me the minus, odd, average odds. Minus seven hundred. You're very close. Minus eight ten are his Dang. average odds in his fights Jeez. prior to this one. So he's been a huge favorite in a lot of his fights. And what's Man, the odds going into this? He's plus 100, so it's close to even. Okay, the, the yeah. Is, is minus 125. And what do you feel it is if you were the odds maker it's going into Patricio this? Fair? Wasn't it? It says Patricky Pitbull here. I don't know the brothers. Which Patricky is the it, is the is the older one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's Patricio. So it's a, it's an error on best fight odds. Patricio Pitbull. Uh, I would get them confused. The names are so similar. I couldn't even tell you them or Nogueras. I couldn't tell you the difference between the Nogueras and their names, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's Antonio Which was Rodrigo, Rodrigo and Antonio and... Rogerio. Rogerio is the light heavyweight. And Rod- Oh, do I have it right? Yeah, yeah, I think Rogerio See, is the light making heavyweight. Making you second-guess yourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still difficult for who I Let's consider right. you now, one of the best now, with the names. Now, so. I'm, now I'm second-guessing myself. Rogerio, I think, was the light heavyweight. Little Nog, yeah, Rogerio. Okay, I, I got Rogerio's it right. I got it right. Little... All right. All right. Just making the second guessing. Yeah. But. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't wait for this one. I'm, I'm so excited to see just how good A.J. McKee is. Because if A.J. McKee ends up yeah. beating Patricio here, we're looking at a guy who could be an all-time great. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, a, a big win here. He's still got to make the move, you know. Everyone's going to say it. If I think he'd be one of those guys like Chandler that could jump over to the UFC with his name, with his popularity. But for me, if you're going to be one of the best, it's still got to be in the UFC. But I think most people think of Pitbull as one of the best even outside of the UFC. So I think, I think a win here. Pound, pound top 10, in my yeah. opinion, Patricio. Yeah, so I think, I think if good. McKee gets this, I mean, I think it really – because I think AJ McKee, I mean, I know he's so good, but do you think he's a name for the common fan yet? I don't think so. So I think no, this is the win maybe, that will put maybe. him there. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that if you ask people to name five Bellator fighters, I don't think that AJ McKee is at the top, you know, at the tip of their tongue. I think you're No, you're not even for me, guys. right? Yeah. So I think this win puts him there now where everyone's going to start talking about him. Well, I think that if you name 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 five fighters in Bellator that have never fought in the UFC. Like, off the top of your head, who are, like, guys that have never fought in the UFC that are just Bellator guys that, that come yeah, to mind just, for you? Uh, Michael Venom Page. Mm-hmm. That was the, one of the first guys in my mind. Uh, Mike. Well, I guess now we talk about AJ McKee, but that's yeah. cheating. But there's also um, the Pitbull brothers. Both of the Pitbull brothers. The Pitbull brothers have not, yeah. Uh, who else is there? I like Mandel, so I'll add Mandel, Mandel in there. Mandel, yeah, sure. I like Mandel. I mean, there's like Brent Primus, those guys like that. There's like the, yeah, the Bellator uh, lifers. 
Who else pops up in uh, Fedor? Emmanuel Sanchez is a good one. Yeah, Emmanuel yeah. Sanchez, Fedor, very good one. Yeah, Fedor. Uh, uh, Sergey Haritanov, I don't think I ever fought in the uh, UFC, but he's fought everywhere, that guy. Even Glory, yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot of the guys that come uh, to mind. Many, yeah. Like the Bellator, uh, Aaron Pico. I mean, there's the prospects, Aaron Pico. Ed Lima Ruth. Lima did beginning, right? No, Lima never fought in the UFC. Lima's Lima never forgot. Yeah. Okay. I thought he did early so there, on. There are like a career. handful of guys that you can name that are just like straight up Bellator guys. Like Goichi Yamauchi's on this card. He's another guy that's never fought in the UFC. That's like a, a decent name. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm eager to see what happens in that main event. I'm I'm... It's on at the same time as the UFC also, which is a very bold move for Bellator, but I think that they're putting their best foot forward. Emmanuel Sanchez versus Mads Brunel is an amazing fight. I think that's the co-main event. That's a, that's a really good fight, in my opinion. Yeah. You've got the uh, younger Magomed Sharapov on the card, Hassan Magomed Sharapov, and the uh, younger Nurmagomedov, Usman Nurmagomedov, Usman. who a lot of people think is going to be, could, could end up being the best Nurmagomedov, but uh, of course, we've got a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of work to do that's the case. A lot of them, there you go. But yeah, I'm excited for it. I'll have to put uh, try to get two TVs going then. Yeah, I, it's on YouTube in Canada, from what I understand. The uh, whole card, the whole or card. just the prelims? The whole, card. The whole Bellator, Bellator card doesn't have a TV deal in Canada. Jeez, I so, didn't know the whole card was on it. I thought on uh, you have to. Yeah, I guess because the only place it is is Showtime, right? Yeah, we don't get Showtime in Canada, so it is on uh, YouTube, I believe. Free, okay. free for Canadians right. on YouTube. Hey, I'll take that. There you go. So uh, we got that going head to head with the. Uh, the UFC, you got Sean, the barista killer, Strickland. Going the barista up against killer, I like it. The barista killer. The, star, the Starbucks killer. Yeah. The Starbucks the, the Starbucks uh, slaughterer. The slaughterer. I couldn't think of an S. So, Sean, yeah, the Starbucks go. slaughterer, Strickland. You got four there S's you there. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah, he's, uh, I've been following his Instagram stories. He seems to be scrapping it out every day with uh, the, our Canadian buddy there, um, Aaron Jeffries. Oh, Him the, and Aaron oh, okay. Jeffries have been like, full training partners for this camp well, well, and nice every day i see i see them in there talking about look we painted today's uh, instagram stories look my last week of sparring we painted the mat and it's bleeding everywhere oh, and then math uh, yeah and then jeffries was like it's not mine this time it's not mine <laughs> this time so they've been like very close and friendly and uh strickland actually says uh, he's like this aaron jeffries guy is phenomenal toughest canadian so i mean it's good so he's got some good training yeah, and Aaron Jeffrey is going to be on the Contender Series, I think, the week after UFC 266. So I'm missing the Canadians by, like, one week. I'm actually going to go yeah. to Contender Series. I'm going to go that week. Nice, yeah, yeah. You might I'm as well. Early because I, I'd, I've never been to one. I'd love to go to one, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, should be a fun experience. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the card right now. The card has lost three main, three co-main events in, like, the span of three days. <laughs> so we, had, we originally Jeez. had it announced as Sam Alvey taking on Roman Kopalov as the co-main event. I heard that. Event. Then that got swapped to um, Chris Dawkins taking on Shamil Abdurakhimov. Both of those fights got pulled in one day. So one was due to visa issues and one was due to, I, th I believe, COVID complications still with Abdurakhimov, who the first time that fight got postponed was due to COVID complications. So that fight's been moved to UFC 266. Alvi is now fighting on August 28th against a new opponent. Who I oh, they moved him. Oh. Yeah, so I can't think off the top of my head who Alvi's facing. He's facing someone new. And then we lost the other co-main event, the new co-main event yesterday, which was Munir Lezez against Nicholas Stolze. That got uh, uh, postponed. Well, actually, sorry, not postponed. Lezez got pulled because he, he also had visa issues. And now Stoltz is going to face um, Jared Gooden. So... I don't know what the new co-main event is for this card, but it's just been bouncing around like a yo-yo. Yeah, geez. Not the, the strongest of cards, but 
No. Some names I <laughs> like to see. Like I like to. See, I like the. You know, I've always thought he was fun to watch. Brian Barberina. Oh, always. He's Damn always man. fun. Yeah, he's always good to watch. One of my other little glory uh, fighters that I've seen grow and develop. Zaruk Adeshev seems mm-hmm. to be on ready to go. So yeah, some some names to watch for. And but I'm actually. I don't know. I'm I'm almost more excited for the Uriah Hall Strickland than I am for that Bellator fight. Sorry, Aaron, but uh, I'm into this Strickland fight. I think he's weird. He's awkward, and um, I think he gets it done. Now, I think he gets it guy done. Too, like Uriah Hall. I mean, Uriah, I agree. I think it's knockout or yeah. bust for Uriah Hall. I think that's basically it. Like if he doesn't get a knockout in this fight, I don't think I don't see him winning a decision. But don't you find it crazy that Uriah Hall's names has been in the mix for Izzy? What do you mean been in the mix for Izzy? But like a lot of people are saying, like who's a logical contender for Israel Adesanya? A lot of people think Uriah Hall. You think so? I don't know. I mean, Good striker. I mean, he's you a know, big underdog Anderson Silva. against Strickland. So we'll have to yeah. see. The, the thing about Uriah Hall is I just don't – I think that he would probably admit he hasn't fulfilled his promise. Like I think that when he was on tough, a lot of people said this guy's got championship potential. He looked great. And then he lost the tough finale to Gastelum. We see how good Gastelum's end up being. So that doesn't end up being a big indictment. But I mean at the same time – we saw him have those crazy knockouts on tough and people were like, wow, this guy could be like the next Anderson Silva, next big knockout artist. And it just never yeah. happened. So he's moved to uh Fortis MMA over the last couple of years and looked great under safe Sayud. So I don't think he's, I don't know if he's even lost under safe Sayud. I think he's undefeated since he's moved to Florida. So eager to see what he can do against Strickland. Uh, but I, again, I kind of think it's knockout or bust for him. Uh, yeah. You know, th- that's the way that I, if I'm going to take anything in this fight, it's Hall by knockout is plus three thirty. Like that's, that's, I think has the most value of anything in this fight. Yeah, I just think the problem with Hall, he's such a technician and he likes that little bit of space and the comfort fighting and long range fighting. But when it comes down to biting down and kind of scrapping and getting messy, I think that's what he doesn't want to he doesn't really engage in too much. So I think he's got to scrap a little bit. I think he's got to make it fun. He's got to go out there and kind of go to war a little bit. I think he can't just be so patient. I think he's got to show a more exciting fight. But I think Strickland will bring that out of him because Strickland's going to come forward. So I think for sure. Strickland will force Hall to fight, which and I think this is why which I'm is excited. For Uriah Hall. Yep. Uriah Hall needs fighters like that. He doesn't need chess yep. match guys because he doesn't win yep. those fights often. No, and they're too slow. Like when he fought uh, uh, Silva, it was too slow. Too much respect. Strickland mm-hmm. will not respect you. He'll get in your face, make it messy. Mm-hmm. And I think Hall's going to react by scrapping back, which yep. will make it fun. Yeah, he, he's kind of a fight or flight fighter. And he doesn't believe in flight, but uh, you have to yeah. bring the fight out of him. Uh, one of my favorites on the card, Kyung Ho Kung, Mr. Perfect. I love that guy. Looking for his fourth <laughs> straight win. Yeah, you I don't know much great, about you him. You want to watch a great fight, Joe? I do. Look up. Go back in time. Let, well, let's get in the time machine here. When did this fight happen? This is before Kyung Ho Kung left to uh, do his, his name is Mr. Duty. Perfect? Yeah. Mr. Perfect. Kyung Ho Kung, Mr. Perfect. September 20th, 2014. You have fight pass, I imagine. Go back yes, and I watch do. Kyung Ho Kung versus Michinori Tanaka. One of the most underrated fights in UFC history that nobody talks about. And back in when? 2014. 2014. Okay. Kyung Ho Kung, Michinori Tanaka. I, uh, right. I would like everybody to go back and, uh, and look that one up. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that he's using Ernesto Hoos's nickname, Mister Perfect. But all right, it's okay. It's he can have sport. it. Different sport. Yeah, that's fine. And I mean, Mister Perfect is also the the wrestler. The wrestler. Mr. Yeah. Perfect, the wrestler. Yeah, the original yeah. Mister Perfect. I I like the one of my favorites still is the the sexy Yama. He, he calls himself sexy Yama. Yeah. He's a stud. I like him too. It's it's a fun. Uh, it's fun. Handsome like, man. Handsome man. Yeah. Sexy he Yama. is a stud. Definitely. Sexy Yama's a stud. 
You want to watch another great fight, Joe? Ryan ben Benoit, who's fighting on this card. Ryan Benoit versus Josh Sampo, November 30th, 2014. Well, I, gonna, I know John I'm keep, Sampo. I'm going to keep going with those deep cuts. I, I think John Sampo's a New York kid. I think Josh he fought uh, kickboxing. He's from Nevada. I think he's fought in a kickboxing fight when I fought in Friday night fights in my first few pro fights. I believe he up. fought he more of a Topich. Yeah, he was an MMA fighter who fought. Josh Sampo kickboxing. I can't. I think you might have the wrong guy. I think you might be thinking of the wrong. Oh, hold on. Pro kickboxing. Josh Sampo. Let's see. And he fought a guy named Topic, if I'm correct. Leandro Banks, it says in 2017. Uh, you might be right. I don't know. Oh, if it would be with under Friday Night Fights banner. Friday Night Fights. Let's see. Josh Sampo Friday Night Fights. Oops. Friday Night Fights. Let's see. Uh... Mm, not not seeing it, Joe. You might be okay. thinking of somebody different. Topic. Yeah. Okay. Is it good? No. I could be wrong. Yeah. No. I think I think this is a different guy. He's, this guy was like an NAIA wrestler. I think he's more known for his wrestling. But that was another great fight that like people don't. There's some. They're like these kind of like undercard, deep cut hipster fights that I like to bring up every now and then. But Sampo versus Ryan Benoit, and uh, Michinori Tanoka, Tanaka versus uh, Kyung Ho Kang. Do your. This is for people if they'd like to do some homework. Uh, before these fights, I recommend both of them. I'm actually going to go back and watch them this week. Yeah, that 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 was it a Sampo's fight. I think it was an amateur fight, so they probably okay. wouldn't be on. It was that long ago. Okay, oh, okay. I'm so pretty it was a long sure it was ago. him. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty still still pretty sure it was him. I'm not going. I'm not. You're not straying. I'm not, I'm not well, straying from my is, point. Is this Topich guy? Uh, he's small. I would. Okay. When, it was probably 135. Okay, so yeah, it's possible he was a 125 or 135 or kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And Ronnie Lawrence back in action. This is another up-and-comer from the Contender Series against Trevin Jones. And both those guys have looked good uh, in their recent fights. Trevin Jones came in against uh, Timur Valiev and got a win. I think he also got a win against Mario Bautista in his second fight. So two guys that are kind of overachievers in the UFC, which I, I like to see. You know what's growing on me, Aaron? The, the Contender fights. I was, I was always a little unsure about them, but I think it's a good thing for the sport. I th I'm really starting to enjoy them that they're really starting to bring guys to attention and guys who are winning from them are starting to do good things in the actual big card. So I'm actually really becoming a big fan of these Dana White contender well, fights. If you, if you go back to the last, uh, like last week's card and this week's card, Kyler Phillips contender series. I think Howlian Paiva was on the Brazilian contender series, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was on the Brazilian contender series. Derek Minner, I believe, was was he on the contender series? Yeah, Derek Minner was on the Contender Series, fought Herbert Burns. Yanez was Contender Series. I think Randy Costa was Contender Series, was he not? I Randy think Costa, so. No, no, he wasn't. Randy Costa no? wasn't. No, I'm wrong on that. Puna Soriano, Contender Series. Brendan Allen, Contender Series. He was the yeah. guy who beat Aaron Jeffrey. Yeah. Uh, Ian Heinish, Contender Series. Jordan Williams, Contender Series. Julio Arce, I believe, was Contender Series, too. Am I right on that one? It, yep, Contender insane. Series. Uh, at least, wow. uh, no, sorry, H Hannah Goldie, Contender Series. Uh, was Belbitza contender? No, Belbitza was not. But then you look at that. Now you look at this week. You've got, uh, let's, let's go back to this week's card. Sorry, let me pull it up. You've got um, Gloria De Paula, Cheyenne Dyes, both contender series. Uh, I think Jaron Gooden might have been on contender series. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, Jason Witt, was he contender series? Maybe. Let me check Jason Witt. No, he was not. But Orion Koski was, Phil Rowe was Contender Series, Ronnie Lawrence Contender Series, uh, Kai Kamaka, was he Contender? I don't know if he was Contender Series. 
But like just Colin Anklin, Melsic Balsarian, both Bagdarsarian, both of those guys, contender series. Like just it's just contender series, contender series, contender series. They found yeah. really a good winning formula for bringing people in that that have stuck around. Yeah, uh, test them out. Series. You know, sometimes they need that little test before getting into the big fight. So, I mean, it's been the perfect little test. Gives them a little bit of that little shine, the attention, the uh, used to the bigger fight. So. I, I don't mind it. But it's also sink or swim, right? Like, that's the, that's the beauty of it. Like, you're putting people in a, a pressure cooker. It's like you've got a contract on the line. You have to, like, almost have to get a finish. Yeah. Like, th- these are the kind of fighters that Dana White has always relished in the promotion, right? So uh, it's very um, – I just think it's been a winning formula. I think it's one of the best things the UFC's ever done. That paired with building the UFC apex to begin with, I think. Look yeah. at how much it's helped them during the pandemic. It's, I think that th- that's one of the best things they've ever done. And it helps building in. Like, let's be honest. One of the toughest parts of any fight card is fights falling out. But when you have these contender fights, even a guy who loses, you're like, this guy lost, but he looked good. And he'll Mm -hmm. jump in now. So you kind of have a resume built in of guys that you can see and put in. So That you also kind of promoted, right? Like you sort of promoted them as well. Yeah, yeah. and you could talk about when he comes in. You're like, listen, he was in the contender. He looked good. You have fight footage of them, B-roll for their fighting. Everything works out. So I really, really uh, think it's the one of the best moves the UFC has done. Are you excited for the most anticipated fight of the decade, by the way? Are we talking about the uh, Paul and Woodley? No, we're talking about uh, Oscar De La Hoya versus Vitor Belfort. That's what it okay. says on the poster. I knew there the was most one anticipated fight. fight of the decade. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I shared the poster <laughs> yesterday. It's got a picture of De La Hoya from the 90s and like current Vitor Belfort on it. Yeah. Oh, man. It seems unfair. That's not fair at all. Yeah. Young De La Hoya? Come on. That's, yeah. that's one of the... the Best looking fighters out there. He was a stud. That was my idol growing up, the De La Hoya, a young De La Hoya. Mm-hmm. There you go. So I like, I got to look that poster now. Tatiana Suarez, unfortunately, undergoing knee surgery, has had to pull out of the Roxanne Modafferi fight. I, I just feel, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Tatiana Suarez would have been a champion by now. It, this is one of the, I think, one of the toughest stories of, of what could have been in MMA might end up being Tatiana Suarez. What uh, what is it? Her training regimen, or just bad luck? Or I don't know. she's it's had a lot so of. I mean, she was supposed to be an Olympian and got cancer and had to like had to pull out of the Olympics, and then like she won tough and then had to have I think neck surgery or something was out for two years. It's just it's just been one one run one thing after another for Tatiana Suarez, and I I just feel really I feel for her because I think she's so uber talented and uh, just. Would, would really like to see how high her ceiling would have been. She actually was going to move up to flyweight for this one. And, and she if was anybody booked, was going to right? challenge... For, sorry? She was booked with who? With uh, Roxanne Modafferi. Roxanne Modafferi, okay. But I if anybody that. was going to challenge um, Valentina Shevchenko in that division, I think that she could have been somebody to do it. So it's uh, tough to see, unfortunately. Uh, Olivia Aubon-Mercier versus Natan Schultz was just added to the uh, PFL playoffs. I, I didn't realize that. I, I don't know what ended up happening. But... Uh, I guess they somehow managed. I, oh, maybe they're just on the card. I don't. Maybe. Yeah. I guess it's not a not a playoffs fight. It's just that he's going to be fighting on the card. So that's good for OA, OAM. That's a tough fight for him. Yeah. I mean, I like OAM, so I think he's going to do good. Like, I mean, I still got some of the other PFL fights booked. That's made it a little bit weirded out because you have because uh, I think Roy McDonald's still in the semifinals, right? Yeah. And he's fighting Cooper, which is a, a good Ray fight. Cooper. Yeah. 
And then the other fight, which I thought was good, was T Bao versus Seto Busai. So good yeah. matchup. But that one's not a play. That one's not a playoff fight. It's just that's not a playoff one. Yeah. Just oh yeah, because Tebow beat Rory, but didn't go in. Yeah, right. Didn't get enough points. So then now he's fighting. But Seto Busai, like I said, I fought on the same Muay Thai card as him years ago. He fought Simon Marcus uh, on the card that I fought in. Yeah. And he, uh, he looked good. He's long, rangy, fantastic striker. So. Good fight for yeah. a tough fight for that anyone. That fight might have actually done Rory McDonald a favor because I think Ray Cooper is an easier matchup for him than Magomed Magomed Karamov, who's the other semifinalist taking on Joao Zeferino. Magomed Karamov's a beast. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I mean, a lot of people saying Rory's not the same fighter, but I mean, I still think he's got the good a IQ. Decision, and... That was just a, like, I mean, I don't think that there's anybody that would have given that fight. Like, I, I don't understand how any judge can give that fight to Tebow. Yeah, yeah. But even the fights before, when he went. Like, from his Bellator to PFL, it wasn't the same Rory, really, we saw. But, I mean, he's older, a little bit more strategic. I mean, I, I just think his IQ and is one of probably the best in the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely. really do. I really do. Uh, one last thing. Did you end up watching the uh, the Paige Van Zant rachel Ostevich bare-knuckle fight? No, I did not. Okay. I did not. Well, Do you want to give me some points on it? Was it uh, worth Rachel watching? Just, Rachel Otsovich destroyed her. It was like it was not a close fight. Yeah. I heard she was landing the more power shots, but sure. I heard Paige was maybe boxing a little better. Does that make any sense? Was um, she kind of I like pitter patter? More volume, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, Rachel Otsovich clearly won that fight. I don't know what Paige Van Zandt's going to do next, but it seems like she's making good money doing bare knuckle. Um, you know, I was listening to Morning Combat with uh, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell, and, and Campbell suggested she go to Bellator. I mean, her husband fights in Bellator. And maybe she could make a run there. She just needs to do something to rehabilitate her career because I think it's just gone way downhill. Yeah, I mean, just the bare knuckle doesn't seem to be working for her. But the other thing I'm finding with bare knuckle, I'm finding the women's fights are gaining a lot of good attention with them, which is fantastic. I mean, I know a, a girl who fought on the undercard, Taylor Sterling. Mm-hmm, yeah. She, yeah, she fought in actually a glory card. So that's where I got to meet her. And then she's really... She's really found some like good fan base there with bare knuckles. She's won. She got fight of the night in the one before. 23-second knockout here. So the women's fights are, are doing very good for the promotion. All right. Well, I've got a wrap. Uh, I uh, will talk to you next week, Joe. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate yes, sir. It. And uh, we'll recap the big Bellator card with AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull, as well as UFC Fight Night, Hall versus Strickland next week. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.